top of the morning to you, my favorite little leprechauns. Lucky for you, St. Patrick's Day is coming early. And in today's pot of gold, if you will, the pot of gold that is in your earbuds, that is on your IGTV, in your eyeballs, watching this very show, we're going to be talking about the fact or the question that I'm going to ask today is all of this access to influencers, celebrity, high profile people, right? Is all of the access, all of the relatability, is it become a little, are these people becoming a little too relatable and accessible? Is it ruining the allure of celebrity? Is it ruining them and us? as fans, as peasants, as people who are clinging on to mental well-being. These are questions I'm going to be asking today because we are swirling and twirling with the lucky charms in this pot of gold. Like it is February. I don't know why I am on the St. Patrick's theme, but just roll with it. Okay. Nothing else makes sense in this world. So we might as well. Am I right? So today we're going to be tying together. We're going to be marrying for lack of a better term the movie marry me with j-lo which literally had the audacity of a one hour and 52 minute runtime we're going to be talking about that and pam and tommy which i love and we're going to be talking about how both of these things explore the idea of celebrity and privacy and all of this and also because and it's cancel me baby and it is another day what a day to talk about how the media looks at things, like looks at these themes, are looking at these projects, wokeness all around, like however you want to slice it. And we're going to get into it today. But first I want to talk to you about, well, not talk to you about, but tell you about, I don't know if I've ever told you this before. My very first time almost meeting Jennifer Lopez, because I think that it ties into this rainbow of the bigger picture. Okay. Picture it. It's a New York November night, maybe a blistering little breeze, maybe a snowflake or two. Like I said, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and it is 2014, okay? And Taylor, baby Taylor out there, I was working for VH1 at the time, and I had the assignments that I pretty much took upon myself actually, because like grab the bull by the balls, am I right people? And I was doing it even back then was supposed to be interviewing the one, the only J-Lo at a little place called 92Y. And I did look this up because the uh, panel, whatever that she did is still on the internet. So I was like, this was not a figment of my imagination. This did in fact happen. Now, this is before, like I said, first time that I met her of the few, I think the only celebrity really that I had interacted with at this point was like a member of the band, what was it called? The Wanted. Remember that song, I'm Glad You Came, which you're welcome for reminding you. A band member of that concoction, okay? So needless to say, I was shitting my pants. I was up the entire night rocking and rolling to my insomnia. So nervous, like, oh my God, you are going to be in the flesh with Jennifer Lopez. Now keep in mind, this is like the same era of when I wrote an op-ed for VH1 in defense of Juliana Rancic. 
also consistency is key because it was like pre-cancel culture and I was defending her against like what was cancel culture then, right? But in the piece, I'm like, I'm a fan, Juliana Rancic fangirl. I've memorized her every move. Like I've saved clippings of her hair. Like, so needless to say, we're in this Taylor, like celebrity obsessed era, okay? So I'm tossing and turning all night and I'm like, what is the, what? like if in like, LOL, because I had no idea how red carpets and all this actually worked. Little did I know. So I'm tossing and turning all night. I'm like, what are you going to ask Jennifer, the Jennifer Lopez? And I come up with the Pulitzer worthy question, which was uh, also imagine how many times this lady gets asked this. Like imagine how many times in her career in a day, in a millisecond, she's been asked this question. And I thought that it was so unique, but I was like, if I get a chance, I'm going to ask her, if you could go back to your younger self, what advice would you give? Oh, I know. I know. So I was tossing and turning all night at the thought of asking this question. And what happens? I get there. I am on the red carpet and I'm the last in line. This is something that I got used to over time. And she interviews, she finishes her interview with the lady next to me. And the next thing I know, they whisk her away. I don't know if whisk is a word, but you know, the word that I'm looking for, she is taken away like Cinderella at 1159 PM, leaving me in her dust, probably of sparkles and the Bronx. Okay. And I never got to ask my question and I was so distraught, but the point of the story is it all turned around because a couple of years later, I literally would be like sitting on her lap applying her lip gloss and like, you know, we'd be making like friendship bracelets talking about A-Rod, but it doesn't matter. See people, you never know where life is gonna take you. But the point is the fact that I was up all night at the thought of asking this lady one question to get a little peek into her life. And look where we have come now. We like need a break from these people. Cause we're like, oh my God. We have seen, like, I've been inside of their Keurig. I've been the rotting romaine in their fridge. Like, these people are on TikTok, on Instagram. Like, I get it. And who would have thought? But also, like, what does this say about celebrity being larger than life, getting a peek into their world, and, like, where we've come now? So this brings me, we're going to kind of, like, Bring, come back to the story later. So this brings me to her new movie, Marry Me, which like I said, had the true nerve, like two hours of my existence that will never ever come back. But the good thing is here we are with this episode. And so when life gives you lemons, people, you annihilate this movie. No, I don't want to annihilate this movie. And here's why. Okay. First of all, the story of how it came to be, I don't know if you know this, is actually really and truly inspiring. So the man who, this, I don't know if you know this, by the way, Marry Me, her new movie, basically, if you don't know, she plays a version of herself. She's like this huge global superstar and she's marrying another um, Latino global superstar, but then it all goes to shit. And then she meets like the every guy, Owen Wilson. And then you can, there you go. Like put your brain cells together and let's make this happen. Okay. On this Wednesday. So this actually was a graphic novel by this man. And I love, you know, like I love a pounding the pavement entrepreneurial story. And this man put his graphic novel, Marry Me, on what he calls like a website. Literally, it was like marrymemovie.com 15 years ago in 2007. And then what a sweet story. Like 15 years later, JLo ends up starring in a movie that's based on your novel. And it's the number one thing in the box office. Like, oh my God, 
but so I, this is why like my, my heart is like, my heart will go on like Celine Dion, but it doesn't want to tear this up because like, I love the origin story, you know, you can do it if you put your mind to it, like, and put your back into it. Okay. Like this man, however, the audacity for this movie. Okay. So before we get into the privacy and all that, let's talk about like this. People are asking, is this bringing the rom-com back and the hard, cold truth? The answer is no, it is null. It is none because what makes a good rom-com people? I'm like, we have discussed this. And if you're a guy listening to the show and you're like, I don't give a fuck, bitch. Okay. I encourage you to listen to some boring podcast. Okay. Have fun with that. But if not, join the party. That is this. Okay. You're going to enjoy it. We're going to get into Pammy, Pammy, Pammy. That is Pam and Tommy later. Okay. There's a little something for everybody. But what makes a good rom-com in the meantime? Okay. We want a little escape. We want some warm and fuzzies. We do not, for the love of God, want to exert the effort of, so help me God, one brain cell. We don't want to think. We want something predictable. We want to laugh. Okay. Funny enough, this man's graphic novel was actually based on Notting Hill. You know, Julia Roberts is a famous actress. You have like the fumbling every man, charming, Hugh Grant, that kind of idea, right? With this, but it did not translate because first of all, this movie is like, it's like depressing. I was like, looking. I was watching it with my aunt and we were both, I was like, should we watch something uplifting after this? Because we're going to talk about the whole privacy issue of celebrities and being like violated and all kind of violated and all this. Okay. But zero sexual chemistry, like literally I am not kidding. I have more sexual, not that it takes much these days, but I have more sexual chemistry with this fake plant daisy Thing, arrangement like plastic flowers I am not you could cut the sensual tension tension between me and these fake plants with a knife compared to JLo and Owen Wilson no so it just like was kind of sad you know <laughs> honestly not did not laugh once no offense and no sexual tension none Honestly, the brave little toaster, the brave little toaster with literal household objects had more sexuality, had more spice. Okay. Then marry me. And I'm sorry. Like, I'm not trying to like hurt these people's feelings behind this movie, but there are some things that we have to address here people, because if we really want the rom-com resurrected, so help me God, we're going to do it together. Okay. And like I said earlier, it has passed. It is officially passed the threshold of the good old rom-com. Like, listen, listen, I went back. Okay. I pulled a Lindsay Lohan. I joined the math club and I looked, I was like, what is the average, you know, runtime? Cause a lot of you guys were writing to me being like, what happened to a good old made in Manhattan? Okay. So I looked at made in Manhattan, the backup plan, monster-in-law, the wedding planner, the median runtime of these movies is an hour and 43 minutes. This is an hour and 52. It officially went over the threshold by nine minutes. Know your role, know your time limit, and let's keep it moving people like stop trying to make this so serious and while we're on the note of making this so serious like you know I had has to be addressed which oddly enough this like blew my panties to outer space okay none no one in the media was addressing how woke this movie was like this movie had audacity of coming into being in the way that it did nonetheless with a woke like literally the amount 
of effort that they had, this team had to have put to make every single frame of what is supposed to be a frivolous, over-the-top rom-com. Like how they did it, I will never know, okay? And this is not to seem like heartless, but this is supposed to be a rom-com. And what do you have? I'm literally sitting here being like, you have to be kidding me at this point, okay? And every literally millisecond of a frame. If someone said to me, if I, imagine having a drinking game of this movie, take a shot. Every time you see something that's woke, literally after the opening credits, I would be planking. I would be in my third dream drooling on myself hammered and completely trashed okay because literally in every frame i'm not joking so owen wilson is a teacher so you have like you're at the school and you literally have like the white girl the black girl the brown girl the girl in the wheelchair you have the biracial girl like the biracial daughter and then you see like the daughter of owen wilson's biracial so you're already like putting two and two together and then this is like the thing though with the tokenism right you literally see the mom in a split second of a frame dropping the girl at school she's the black mom she's like bye that's the most we see of her and so i bring this to the forefront oh and then we're like at a school dance and we see like the two gay kids like posing in the thing and it's like oh my god we get it and i want to reiterate this i'm not pointing this out because i'm some soulless heartless person that's like oh a girl in a wheelchair oh a couple of gay kids like on uh, do you do you think i'm evil like who, who do you think i am no i bring this up because this whole like who wants to be the token something who wants to be the token something I can't imagine that it feels good because what happens, they pack all of this thing, again, the audacity in a rom-com, right? But they pack all this in to the point where we're onto it. So we get it and it just feels so insincere. But further, imagine how it feels for the person on the other end. Like imagine the person in the wheelchair, in the this or doing the that being like, oh, I'm in it for half a frame. You're like a one dimensional, you know, you might as well be like a scarecrow because it's like, we don't know, we don't get to know anything about you. It's just like for the sake of seeing it. And someone can argue, but like, isn't it good? It represents the world around us, of course. But to what degree? I even talked about this with um, Clark Bacco. If you didn't watch it, who's a black actress, she was in the new Prime movie, I Want You Back, which funny enough, I had my aunt and I watch after we watch Marry Me because I'm like, it'll wash away what just happened. And it's actually funny and actually sweet and like, will not make you cry inside. But she says, as a black woman, I never want to be, she's like, I've been in that position. I've been in that position where literally they hired me because it's like the right type of black. Imagine how shitty that feels. Like even for a rom-com, she's like, I don't want to be the girl who's the black girl. I want to be a girl who's in love in a fun, you know, lighthearted movie and happens to be black. And it's like, right, that's the thing. And now they're trying so hard. And in this, like the mental gymnastic that had to go into this, but that's the whole point. It's like tokenism, watching it. And I'm sure being on the other end of it, just is, it's not a good experience. Do you guys remember not another teen movie again, like when we can actually make fun of things and laugh and they have the token black guy. And he even says in it, he's like, I'm just the token black guy. I just say things like damn and shit. And that is whack. It's like making fun of the idea that it's like, right. It's like these one dimensional add-ons for, you know, you know, saving face and really don't add to the depth of storytelling or character. Like, what does it add? And the crazy thing is like Clark, I bring this up because I feel like I get this feedback the most from people who are like, in theory, you know, marginalized in society. 
And they're like, we like are the first ones privy to the woke checklist. Like I'm talking like gay friends. I'm talking like a friend I have who is handicapped and I'm not saying they're speaking for everybody, but it's just so funny to me. They're like, all right, here we go again. Like, this is really, you're really at it guys. You're really doing it. So the token thing is just not cute. It doesn't feel good. And for what? Like make for what? You know, like make it count people. Someone said to me, like, what happened to Made in Manhattan? And it's like, that's what I'm talking about. Like in Made in Manhattan, JLo is like, she's a Puerto Rican, like she is in real life from the Bronx, I believe, like, like real life. And it shows, this isn't what I mean. It's like, it didn't have to try so hard. Like it showed that power sort of like dynamic because she and her friends of color are maids in this like ritzy over the top hotel that especially, you know, even then only like rich white people could afford like the guy who she falls with, who's a rich white politician. And she makes a note of like bringing that to the table. And she's like, listen, and this is like how I felt too being in Hollywood. Okay. She's like, she goes to a charity thing with him. And it's just like over the top, like a plate costs as much as your mortgage. And she's like, this is all fun and dandy, but how about you rich people? Like if you're so, you know, behind the cause that you're here at this big dinner to promote, like, why don't you give that to the inner city schools and eat a little bit lighter, you know? So it goes to say, like, we see it. It's like part of the story. And you know what? Maybe it's a trope, but back then in the 2000s, people, like, at least it felt sincere. And, like, it got the messaging through, oddly enough. Like, you would think, like, now it's like they're trying to be woke, but we're like, give me a break. Like, my eyes are rolling back into my head and, like, not in a good way. Versus then, like, made in Manhattan, like, maybe you were onto something because we see the story, we get it, and it's like a whole experience like about, like I said, that power struggle and the differences. So needless to say, let's keep that shit at bay, okay? Wow, I really don't mean to keep rhyming. And it further got me thinking, okay, when I had Clark on my show, she said to me, because we talked about this, she was like, I hate the quotas, I hate the checklists, you know? And I, she says that it's actually white men behind the scenes who are calling these shots and like plugging all of this stuff in because they think that they have to and they should. And I thought to myself, I'm gonna do a little deep dive. Who is behind this movie? Who is behind this motion picture, you know, that Peacock had the audacity of running? And I'll have you know, this was interesting because even when she said that, I was like, in my head, I we were cut off for time. But in my head, I was like, is that really true though? Because we've heard stories, like Barry Weiss did a great piece about this um, uh, with, you know, executives who are high up in Hollywood who are white and they are like, we all have to outwoke each other because we're so afraid at this point. So even if it's faking it, you know, we hate this shit, da, 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 da. Everything is like a checklist and it has to be this or that, not even who's best for the role necessarily, um, whether it be behind or in front of the camera. So I'm thinking like, so wait, white men like hate this, but at the same time, they're the ones perpetuating it. Like what's going on? So I'll have, you know, here's a little fun fact. This movie was directed by a white lady. It was written by two white ladies and a white guy. So do with that information what you will. Are white guys behind the scenes really running the show? Now, I don't know who approved this movie like high up in Universal, but it just, you know, a little food for thought there. Like it made me think like, are white guys really running the show? And are they doing it because they care? Or are they doing it because like they want their infinity pool and gosh darn it, 
you know, if that means plugging every woke thing you ever heard into your hour and 52 minute movie to pay for your infinity pool, then bitch, even though like you can't stand the shit, you're going to do it. Right. Okay. And there are other elements too, that make this movie really woke. So like even JLo has a line where she's like, ladies, I say that we, you know, we propose to the man and we keep our last name and we make them prove that we're worthy and blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh my God, just why? Just why? Like we didn't ask, you know, we didn't ask, pull a Kate Hudson and talk shit on him, you know, in a magazine article, like how to lose a guy in 10 days. I don't need you on a soapbox over here now talking about like turning all these traditions on their head and shit. Like we get it. But also I was like, you know what's interesting here? Let me see. Let me see how the media is talking about this movie because I'm like, people have to recognize, like, again, the woke quotas and the checklist and the messaging and all this. And it was so interesting. And I don't know, maybe you guys would be surprised because, um, or, or won't be surprised. Like, now in hindsight, I'm like, is it that surprising though? Probably not because I'll have you know. I watched almost every interview that the two of them did, Owen and JLo did, and uh, the other man, uh, Maluma, I think his name is. And I looked at like all the pieces written about it and all this. And in all the interviews, it's the same thing, step-by-step, step. like hence why I left red carpet reporting. But all the questions were like, how does it relate to your real life? What was it like working with Owen? Oh, the love story, blah, 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 like boring, right? No, I was like, for sure. I thought every reporter was going to be in line, you know, like it's Krispy Kreme day and being like, oh, the representation in this movie is so important. Like talking and like, no one brought it up with them. And I was so shocked. And then I'm like, wait a minute, maybe it's not so shocking because they're trying to be like on the woke train. So they're just going to let it go and let it lay under the radar because no one's going to bring it up to the point where it's like silly and doesn't make sense. Like I am like, they can't do that. It's like part of their narrative to be like, yeah, yeah, this is the way. Because funny enough, when we talk about Pam and Tommy, it's just interesting on the whole, how you look at how the media talks about these two movies. Like everybody is fawning over Mary. Like you see Hoda interviewing JLo. She's like, I love this movie. Like I wasn't a complete human being until I saw this movie, right? It's that idea. And then of course, with something like Pam and Tommy, they have all sorts of excuses to tear it up. Like, what are you guys? It's just their priorities, you know, are all out of whack. Okay. So I was like shocked by this. I'm like, I can't believe, cause you would think again, they would be like patting their backs being like, oh my gosh, the representation in this blah, blah, blah. However, I will have, you know, yet again, of course, right. We did have people like whether it be from the movie or writing about it, making a point that we don't see Latinas like JLo and her love interest, not almost and the other guy, you know, being super successful and at the forefront. And again, this is the number one movie in the box office right now. Like we don't see it enough. You know what I mean? Or I saw one piece that was like, you know, JLo always played a working class woman. Like at least here she's rich, da, da, da. And this is where yet again, it's like, really people like quit. How about focusing and applauding the fact that this did come to fruition as flawed as it may be, and it's showing them in this way, like people living out their goals and dreams and being super successful and powerful and famous and people of color, like celebrate that. Instead, it's like, well, we haven't had this enough. And it's like, well, you're having it right now. Like, oh my God. And I feel like there's also something to be said. I talked about this a little bit this morning. I was on David Meltzer's show on Instagram Live. And I feel like there's something to be said about yet again, how we victimize people of, you know, traditionally marginalized communities as if it's like so, so bad. Now I'm not saying like, I know what it's like 
to, you know, be a Puerto Rican woman trying to make it in show business, right? Like, I don't know. And I'm sure that they have experienced, you know, hardships in that arena, right? But then on the other end of it, it's like, this is what I talked about on his show. It's like celebrating and playing up to our strengths. And I do think that there is a part of it. Like when the media says, oh, you know, we never see a Puerto Rican woman, you know, with this much success or wealth, you know, in the mainstream or at the forefront of a movie. It's like, okay, but how about all the times that has been the case? And even on the whole, like there is something about women of color that is so like, alluring and exotic and powerful and cool that frankly like in ways a white woman can't offer right and we've seen you know think of all the examples Salma Hayek you know Penelope Cruz right J-Lo I mean it goes on and on and on you know Adriana Lima you know even Connor um, Moore who I had on my show a week or two ago he's like you know what black culture is so much cooler than white culture I'm bored it's like that idea so instead of like always kind of like punching it down, I guess, so to speak. It's like, well, no, how about talking about how like cool and awesome and powerful it is in a different way, like a way that like we can't, you know, embody or have. And I'm sure a lot of white girls have felt this way where it's like, damn, I'm jealous. Like they definitely offer this sort of like, again, this like cool, unattainable, like exotic thing that like, you know, some of us just aren't cutting it. So lastly, all food for thought. Now, something that this movie really explores, which JLo has talked about in this uh, in her interviews is the idea of like celebrity privacy and how there is none, right? And the movie is like, this is another reason it's so obnoxious to watch because every single, fr- like you feel like you're living in this like ADD internet age because like we just like no other, like our brains have no other way of existing. So every single frame is like literally through the lens of an Instagram live and she's documenting everything. She always has a hundred people up her asshole. She's doing a Vitamix ad. Then she's live streaming her concert. She has a guy following around to do her social media. Like literally she and Owen Wilson are just trying to have an intimate moment. And again, like no sexual chemistry anyway, tumbleweed and dust had a baby that is their sexual chemistry and you have this guy like following them around for her to put on her youtube like it's just a whole thing right and she talks about like he's like god are you ever alone meanwhile he's like my spirit animal he is like a literal fucking fossil and he's like i want no part of this i don't even know what a tiktok is like why can't people he's like i see it with my students why can't people just be in the goddamn moment like it is ruining everything and it really got me thinking and she like is on the other side of it she's like but it can be such a great tool don't be such a grandpa like it can connect you with people and I'm watching it and I'm like it's just so like excessive and over the top you know and it's it makes it where like I want to go with all this but it's like how bad do we feel for you especially when you're like perpetuating it do you know what I mean so there's one scene in the movie though and it got me thinking it even got me thinking to my story earlier about like the lengths we'd go or like how nervous I was even at the chance of asking her like one question to get a peek in her life but you see where she goes to a school dance and it's like very sweet and sincere right and like brings her down to earth from this over-the-top lifestyle she has as like a global global huge superstar and the chorus teacher like comes up to her and he's like, can I get an autograph? Like the minute she gets there, right? Can I get an autograph for so-and-so? And you can tell it's like kind of obnoxious and her character, like can, you can tell she's like, okay. Like it's sort of like violating. It's like, what am I? Some kind of like circus freak? Like, you know what I mean? Like I owe you this. So you kind of feel bad for her. And it really got me, like, I know it's such a brief moment, but she does it anyway. Right. I forgot to say, so she does it, but like reluctantly, like, okay. Like, I guess it's the right thing to do. And it got me thinking about this whole idea of like celebrity and privacy, because this is an ongoing discussion. Like, 
are they earned, you know, a certain amount of privacy? Like, do they deserve it? Are they ruining it? Are they giving it away? Like, you know, feeding into like having no privacy, all this. And it really pissed me off being a reporter in Hollywood because when celebrities would blow us off, I would be like, sweetheart, sweetheart, try flying, you know, in coach, try dealing with the marketplace to get health insurance. You know what I mean? Like try getting to the airport in your Uber, like two hours early. And I hope that you make it on time and checking your bag and your bag might get lost and like waiting in line, like an asshole in a mask in the peak of COVID, you know, at the grocery store, like all these things, like all these conveniences and luxuries, you know, like your stay at the four seasons, like all this that you wouldn't afford without all of us. So the least you could fucking do is answer a question, do an autograph, something. And so watching the scene, I was like, damn, that is like kind of obnoxious though, right? So I feel this like internal push and pull. Now this all brings me people to, on the contrary of Marry Me, which like how the, you don't even want to know the budget, by the way, for that movie. Like you literally, you will jump off a bridge, okay? But Pam and Tommy, which is, pure goddamn entertainment. It is fun. It is like still thought provoking. And like, thank you, Lily James, like the Meryl Streep of it all for bringing it. Okay. Like the fake prosthetic boobs and all superb. So Pam and Tommy, obviously, if you don't know, please get out, get out now from your, from your treehouse, from your pot of gold, from your sewer, I don't care. Okay. But you need to get out to watch this move, this series. Cause it is amazing. Like I look forward to it every Wednesday night. In fact, the Wednesday night episode drops of Pam and Tommy is partially what inspired me to start dropping episodes on Wednesdays now, because like, what a fucking time to be alive, not a rivalry, but a complimentary moment in time of fun, thought provoking greatness. Ah, okay. So Pam and Tommy, Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee. So what's so fascinating about this is that it talks about like total, total opposite of where we've come now, like, right with Mary, me and celebs, like feeling the need to like show, literally show us every time they take a shit. This was not asked for. So Pam and Tommy, the very beginning, like before the internet was a thing of celebrity and sex and all of this. And there's, I guess if you want to call it a sex tape that was stolen and put out to the masses publicly. But you see how they talk about it and they're like, we could sell it on this thing called the internet. But it obviously was like completely, it was stolen. It was stolen. They were both mortified. Like, yes, they were rock and roll. Yes, they epitomized. Like it was a couple that epitomized like, you know, the sex appeal and like all this shit of the time, right? But you see how it really was at the beginning of it all. And it's really crazy. They even say, like, Pamela Anderson has even come to say, like, people got the internet just to get a hold of this movie. Or, yeah. And you see, like, while, like, people say, like, oh, my God, it's so private. And it feeds into, again, this bigger picture I bring to you today. Like, are we just a bunch of sick freaks who are obsessed with celebrity and sex? The idea that it's, like, private, unattainable, we all want, we can't have, like, a little slice of that, right? And sex, hey, forget it. It's over the top. So it's interesting about Pam and Tommy. So you see all this play out, right? And it's so fascinating because you'll see Pam Anderson, like even of late, like in 2015, she's talking to Andy Cohen about it. And he's like, I love your sex tape trying to joke about it. And she's kind of like, listen, like she kind of hardballs. Like she's very like, you know, witty and graceful, but she's like, this was stolen. Like this 
ruined arguably her career. And it shows you in the series how she was trying to be a really serious actress. And this just like basically booted her out of Hollywood because no one took her seriously. We're going to talk about the misogyny and all that in a second, you know, themes and narratives around that. But she says, she's like, you know, this happened before people did it on purpose. And he, Andy Cohen even says like, you didn't make a nickel off of this. Look at Kim Kardashian. Look at all this. She's like, no, neither of us made a nickel. This was stolen. You know, we did it before people did it on purpose. You know, arguably, you know, the Kim Kardashians, Paris Hilton's all this. And this is what I mean with us going over the top with celebrity and privacy. And the fact that like both of them, Andy Cohen even acknowledges it and she acknowledges it. It's like the lengths that we will go right? Or celebrities will go. And like, look at the contrast. Look at the contrast. Like again, back then, completely violating. Can you imagine, by the way, how violating? I once had my bank account hacked and literally, I was like, I need a security guard. I am going to need surveillance. Like it is terrifying. Sometimes I even think, because like I have some like, you know, risque photos on my phone. And I think like, I can't even imagine if these were to get out. Now, sometimes I buffer it and I'm like, yeah, but you were in Playboy. So in some aspects, you can like own it and be like, listen, I've already been there. But still, there's a part of it that would be mortifying. Okay, this is that to the nth degree and before it was even a thing. So it's really interesting to like take a look at all that and now how we've like taken it in our, our own hands and like our celebrities like exploiting themselves on purpose to get clout and fame and attention, like how insane, right? So can you imagine Pam Anderson? She's like, are you fuckers for real? Like try being on my side, right? So here's what's interesting really quick when we talk about how the media like looks at like two projects like this. It's so fascinating because I feel like this um, series, it really, as it should, like paints Pam Anderson as the hero because she was the one who was like completely violated and didn't ask for this. And again, was like trying to be a serious actor and it like ruined everything. And you can see that. And she like keeps her shit together. She keeps her composure, but she does everything in her power to like not let it get out and like just stay in control and stay calm and like keep it moving. So you really like see her and you're like, oh my God, now what have you here? Of course, but you have, I've seen op-eds on it, like galore, right? In Vogue, in CNN, like all kinds of things. Being like, this series just perpetuates the misogynistic reason this all happened to begin with, blah, 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 right? There was one piece that said this show, it was created by men and it's just all toxic masculinity from Tommy Lee himself, the guy who sold the sex tape, the lawyers who tell like, you know, give them bad advice, like all this stuff instead of challenging that. And again, I'm, it's kind of like the made in Manhattan. And I'm like, but isn't just seeing it enough? Like, why do they need to challenge it? Like we see these men acting shitty and we see Pam Anderson being the victim, but also being the hero, like rising above all of it. So like, isn't that enough? There was another piece where this girl was like, you know, the best thing to honor Pam Anderson's legacy would be to leave this alone. You know, cause Pam Anderson allegedly, like she's not a part of it. It's like bringing up old wounds. She doesn't want to like even watch it, which is understandable. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, but now there's a whole new generation or two who's seeing this story, seeing her in a whole new way and empathizing her and seeing her as a hero. So how about that? How about that? Right? Okay. So like, let's look on the half class 
full people, the pot of gold half full, like however you want to see it. So this all goes to say both of these, like watching them back to back, I know they're two completely different projects, but it had me thinking about how they look at celebrity and privacy and being violated and when it crosses the line and when it's too much. And so it really, again, it makes me wonder what's the chicken and the egg here? Is it us? Are, again, are we just like sick celebrity obsessed people who can't get enough on IG live or back then with the sex tape, like this obsession in this fashion fascination, like would they be doing it if it, they didn't, like if there would be no, like if it'd be a dud, if it'd be a dud, what's the point, right? But it causes this like phenomenon. And then in turn, celebrities feed into it. So this is another thing I see, especially with Pam and Tommy in the mainstream. They're like, oh, people think celebrities don't have rights to privacy. I'm saying that's an extreme example. But now it's like, well, where's the line? Who's feeding who? Is it the people consuming it? And then the celebrities like, and even influencers, right? Like showing every little bit of their life and feeding it, in, feeding into it even more and making it into this whole beast. Again, it's hard to feel bad because it's like, well, you're perpetuating it too. So, and again, like the Pam Andersons didn't ask for this, okay? So I ask you, who really wins? Who, like, wouldn't the world be a better place? Like the world of rock and roll, of media, of entertainment. Like, do we need to see celebrities' sex tapes? Even now on IG Live, like, do we need to see, do we need to see their Vitamix and their banana smoothie recipes? Like, is it all becoming, I bring it back to the beginning, a little too relatable, a little too accessible, not only for them, but for fans. For fans, like I think that will live. And I think that it actually makes it a little more exciting. Like the less, you know, that you have, we all want what we can't have. And that's what's so like alluring and glamorous and sexy about celebrity. And now those walls are being peeled down and I get it. I, like, listen, I'm a girl who had a site called Stripping Down Celebs on this very premise. And now these years later, I'm like, you know what? Maybe there is something to be said about ding, ding, ding privacy and keeping things a little bit separate because in the end who really wins they feel like shit half the time we feel like shit because our lives aren't as glamorous as that and so who wins and so i say this to 2014 taylor who is getting shafted on the red carpet girl you didn't even know what you had and how good you had it because with all of this said i will say I would rather take getting blown off by JLo, being in her presence, being blown off on the red carpet, wondering if I had gotten that question in, what would she have said? Like that little bit of mystery, that little bit of like keeping it on our toes, you know, like as a fan, seeing that rock star on stage, seeing that movie star on the red carpet versus seeing every goddamn detail of their lives on my IG live, which by the way, was created by Mark Zuckerberg. So as far as I'm concerned, that whole thing can fuck right off anyway.